Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit of Pew podcast and this week's adult Bible study through Exodus or Life of Moses. We didn't cover either one of those. We didn't talk about Exodus at all today. We were actually in Numbers and we were talking about when they reached just before the promised land. All they had to do is cross the Jordan, but they ran into a problem. And so that's what we covered today in our last study. Next week we're off, though I, I don't know, I may be on the podcast here still on Sunday. And then we're back on the next week with a brand new study in the book of Hebrews. Also, if you might have heard, I've kind of published it on Facebook quite a bit and got several new people signed up, even some paid subscribers. But uh, we have each Monday now, I'm going on the newsletter, I'm going to be giving a verse, a thought, and a quote. Uh, some nuggets that I'm mining throughout the week. I'm going to be sharing those with you. So I want to encourage you to make sure you sign up at pulpit-pew.com. Make sure you sign up and you get those in your inbox every Mondays. Now, without further ado, here is this week's Adult Bible Study. Let's take our Bibles. We'll go to out of Exodus. Let's get into Numbers 13. We're going to go fast forward since this is the last week. Some good stuff we could cover. Um, there's also some stuff that would be very long in a whole other series, talking about the you know tabernacle and some of those different laws and things. But we'll, let's get us to the edge of the promised land. Let's go to the edge of the promised land, a familiar story, one that I've taught, and something I'll say here, at least some of you probably been in, if you're in my classes for, I do feel a little self-conscious sometimes teaching around Ryan, because he's in about every class that I've ever had when when I taught teens for years and everything, so um, he that's why he sleeps during most of my lessons. No, but uh, uh, comment I'll make here in a little bit, I know I've made many times, but because it challenges me. But... Uh, we're taking it, we're, we're, we're all the way to the promised land now. This is when they were leaving. God said, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a land. This is a land that's been promised to Abraham, a land promised to Isaac, to Jacob. And now they are there. They are a, they, 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 all you got to do is get across the Jordan. And as you know, they're not going to. It's gonna, there's going to be a problem here. And there's going to be 40 years of, of wandering in the wilderness before they get to this, this promised land. But uh, here is where they're going to send the spies. Now, if I was open with a multiple, uh, multiple answer, or multiple question, uh, what well, I just lost the word. It's like I'm having my seizure again. Our multiple choice. There it is. I'm telling you, I get a mental like seizure when I'm sitting here. I can't figure out words. Multiple choice. If I were to say to you, and then I'm going to read some verses, and you're going to think you know the answer because I would have too. If I were to say who initiated right here in chapter 13. The plan for the 12 spies to go into the land. If I were to say that, don't answer it out loud. If I were to say that, I would give you either A, Moses, B, God, or C, the people. After reading Numbers 13, the first few verses, I want you to think, because it sounds like one thing, and then I'm going to take you to some other verses. But look at what it says in Hebrew, or Hebrews. That's in a few weeks. I tell you, I'm losing it right now. The Colts lost, and I can't focus right now. All right, I'm still upset. Numbers 13, starting verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their fathers shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. And Moses, by the commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. So when I asked that question again, I said, who initiated the plan for the 12 spies to land? A, Moses, B, God, C, the people. That sounds like B, God. Very simple. 
But real quick, we're going to come back here, but I want you to go over to, uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 1 for a second. I'll read you a few verses. It's uh, Numbers, then Deuteronomy. I put my ribbon there, so I cheated. I'm a little ahead of you. But in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verse 21, this is now about 39 and a half, almost 40 years later. This is them being warned about, and they're kind of being told about, hey, these last 40 years, you've been wandering in this wilderness because of, and Deuteronomy is a book that he just reiterates, he gives them again the commandments and reminds this next generation, remember all those that were 20 and below, he's kind of reminding them, here's, here's where your parents failed, and here's what you need to remember. But look at what, the, what they say in verse 21 and 22 and 23, it says, Behold, the Lord thy God has set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God thy fathers has said unto thee, Fear not, be not neither discouraged. And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will, we will send men before us. Notice this. So they came before Moses and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search out the land and bring us word again by what we must go up. And into what cities we shall come. And the saying pleased me well, Moses said. And I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came to the valley of Eschatol and searched it out. So notice who initiated the plan for the twelve spies. It seems to indicate in Deuteronomy that the people before going into this land were saying to Moses, Hey, we need to go check out this land first before we go. God has already promised it to us. God has already told us to go get it. But we need to send spies. Moses thought, okay, spies isn't a bad idea. He goes to God. God confirms it because I think he wanted to test them. I think he wanted to teach them a lesson that they need to trust him. And so the plan goes forward. And when they go to do this, so this plan, I, I submit, and this is what I'm going to spend most of my time talking about here in just a minute. It began in a sense of doubt. It began with a little hesitation. It began with doubt. Like, eh, this is the promised land that you've told to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and everything. We're finally right there. But let's go spy it out first. And so it began with a little bit of doubt, but what I'm concerned about, what I'm going to show you, what happens in our text today, what begins in doubt many times ends in unbelief when we don't live by faith. Now, I want to read some names. I'm not going to read these names, but, well, I'm going to try to read them to you. Listen to these names. I want you to think about when I read you these names, how many nieces and nephews, cousins you have by these names. All right. It's got to be, I mean, these, the men I'm going to read to you right now. All right. These are the heads of Israel. These men are called in another place, the exalted ones or the captains or the chiefs of their people. So these are big time people in Israel. Okay. So you're going to have nieces. You're going to have nephews. You're going to have cousins. You're going to think about naming your kids. You're going to try to get your grandkids named this, okay, of course, because these are heads of Israel. These are big names. You ready? Shamamua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gadi, Emiel, Sether, Nahabi, Jeul. Anybody got anybody named that? Why not, though? I mean, these are big-time Israel names. I mean, these are spies. These are people that are heads of their tribes. These are people that are that are leaders over Israel, why wouldn't you name one? Because 
Actually, they're all a bunch of cowards. Here in a little bit. But then let me give me two more names. All right, I'm already struck out with 10, so let me try two more. All right, Caleb, Joshua. Anybody know anybody named Caleb or Joshua? Now, the, the negative side of me says, well, yeah, because they're easier to pronounce. But maybe they're easier to pronounce just because they were two men of faith and we've said them for years. Maybe if I was standing up here and they were doubters, I'd be going like, Caleb, or Caleb, I couldn't say it. Maybe, I don't know. But they were men of faith. And so we know some Joshua's. We know some Caleb's. Ain't no, there's none of us that would be like, oh, I'm hesitant to name my kid that. We're proud of those names because they were men of faith in this story. And the others were men of fear and doubt. And so today I want to talk about a little bit of what happens when uh, and what takes people from, from doubt to unbelief and, and kind of how do we stay away from that. In our text, I've read you the first three verses. The verse, verses 4 down through verse 16 are describing these exalted men, these chief men, these heads over Israel. Um, and, and at the point that we're reading, us already knowing the end of the story, but these sound like, I mean, these are some great guys. But then in verse 17, And Moses sent them to spy the land of Canaan, and said to them, Get you up this way southward, and go into this mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether there be any strong or weak or few or many, and what the land is that they may dwell in, whether it be good or bad, or what cities they be in, dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage and bring the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first, first ripe grapes. So they go into this land. They're just supposed to be checking it out. But any plan that begins in doubts only going to develop more doubts. When you, when you start with that, that doubting mindset, you're going to find that it doesn't usually lead to a faith. It usually leads to more doubt. Uh, I remember as a little kid, this is the dumbest illustration, all right? I don't know why this comes to my mind, but being in this church as a little kid, I remember laying in the pew, not listening to my grandpa preach, all right? And I would just lay in the pew. I think my mom's job, like when she came to church, she probably hated coming to church growing up because it was like, keep Brian over here, Brad over here, try to keep them quiet. We would, in times, we would, you guys, it was only this building over here. So this didn't exist at the time that I'm referring to. So that little white building, we actually set. If you walk out this door and you go right just like 10 feet that way, that's where we set in the very back row of this little white building. And then these, those steps right over here, you don't know how many spankings I got on those steps right over there. Wow, I got a lot of spankings because Mama's is on the back row. Me and Brian would be goofing off. She'd take us out back there, spank us. For those listening to the podcast, don't turn me in. My mom in. She's, it was fine. I survived. She's, and then we bring us right back in. Maybe sometimes we double up in a service and get to a service. I don't know. I mean, we, and we'd take the Lord, you know, communion would come by, and Brian would go take it. I'd make him laugh. He'd spit it out. We were bad at times. So dad would always sit up front up there, and mom would sit back here with us. And um, I mean, we were just, we were just, kind of bad but I remember laying there and I, they had these I still remember round lights and I would just stare at it so they'd make all the colors you know then I would watch the colors on the ceiling and everything I have all these memories but as I got a little bit older you know you develop like my boys they develop these crushes okay develop these crushes and so I would lay there and think okay if someone coughs in the next five seconds i'm gonna marry whoever this is 
So I'm doing this during church. That's why I'm not very spiritual right now, obviously. So I would wait, and then all of a sudden, whoever's name, I'm just going to pick a name because I can't think of it. It'll say Bertha, all right? If, if, if someone coughs the next five minutes, I'm going to marry Bertha. And all of a sudden, someone would cough. But then I would be like, because I started in doubt, like, I don't know. And then I'd be like, wait, was that really a cough? Or was that like a clearing of the throat? So then I would say, okay, here it is. If there's two, if there's two sniffs in like the next five minutes, then I'm going to marry Bertha. And then, I, then, then I'd be counting. I'd be like, oh, was that five minutes though? Because I lost track of the time because I could see the clock. It was right behind. And so I lose track. I mean, all these games are going on. Now, that was the dumbest illustration. But I'm saying what, that little thing as a kid remind me because anytime that happened, it confirmed. I was supposed to marry Bertha. But I was like, well, did it really? Was it really a call? Because even in a childhood thought, doubts only produce more doubts, okay? It was just, it was a foolish thing. But doubts always produce more doubts because that's what happens. But a plan that begins in faith leads to courage and boldness. And so what I want to challenge us with today is this idea of doubt. Maybe we say, we're sitting here in Sunday school. We're not people who doubt. Well, sometimes we are. There are times when even you, you would be surprised at some of those that sometimes come up with questions that are just doubting, just discouraged. And, and, and oftentimes when it's, it comes when we go through the greatest of trials. We go through a big loss or go through something unexpected, and then all of a sudden we begin to doubt God. And we feed the doubts instead of feed our faith. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about today is feeding our faith. But first of all, we've got to face our doubts. So these men, I'm going to get into this text here in just a second, but I want to dive out of it for just a minute. But we've got to, we've got to face our doubts. And these guys, they, as they got into the land, uh, well, let me just go ahead and read it. Go look at verse 27 of our text in chapter 13. It says, they came into the land. They saw everything that God had said was true in verse 27. And they told him as they come back and said, we came into the land whither thou sinnest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. So you would think that would feed your faith. It's exactly what God said it would be. It says, and this is the fruit thereof. So they're carrying the fruit. They said, look at this fruit. It's just like God said. So you think that would feed your faith. Because everything that God said is coming true. It says in verse 28, Nevertheless, here comes the negativity, the people be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. These are the giants. They said we saw them there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell in the sea by the coast of the Jordan. So here they are, and they're just saying all of these th things that are feeding their doubt. So I'm going to come back to that, but what I said in a minute, we've got to face our doubts. And I want to read to you from over in James. I'm just going to turn over there. I'm already here. In James chapter number 1, it says, uh, starting in verse 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give it to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. I think these verses teach us, and the problem that they had, these Israelites had, is we have to face our doubts. What do you mean by face it? Means we have to have this showdown with our doubts to say, you know what, this is what I am struggling with right now, and be willing to ask for help. We can be such a prideful people sometimes. 
We'll be struggling with something. We refuse to ask for help. Now, by ask for help, I mean several things. The text that I just went to in James means ask of God. He said, if you lack something, which in this case was wisdom, he said, ask of God. Who, who giveth to all men liberally, means he's not going to withhold. God wants to give what we ask. And he says he upbraideth not. The word upbraideth means he's not going to rebuke you. He's not going to come at you harsh for asking of something. Maybe like you might your kids the 10th time they ask for candy in the store. We come a little bit more with some more upbraiding. That, if we wanted to use that old English term, that 10th time. Not God. God says, go ahead, bring me all of your concerns. If it's a lack of wisdom, bring that to me. You lack faith, he says, it's in context because he says, let him ask in faith, not wavering. Wavering is doubting. He says, ask in faith, don't be wavering. Don't be afraid to come to God. You got to face that doubt because God wants to give help. We've got to get away, away from this mindset that God is in heaven wanting to do. He's upset with us. He's angry with us. God loves us. God is not a God up there going, will you just get it right? God is a God that is so long-suffering to us. That is the lie of Satan to get us to think that God is frustrated. Just, will you get this right? No, think about how patient he was with with Peter. Think about how patient he was in the Old Testament with David. But what was the difference? These men had hearts that that came back to God. So you got to face those doubts. We got to be willing to ask for help. But, but once we face the doubts, then secondly, we've got to feed our faith and not feed our doubts. You've got to feed the faith. You can't feed the doubts. Whatever you feed is going to get bigger. Whatever you feed is going to and going to grow stronger. And I this 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 phraseology, which is not unique with me, I'm sure I got it somewhere, and people use it all the time. But what you feed grows, and it's. It's so true in my life. I can find that when I start going down a negative mindset, I can just feed that negative mindset, feed that negative mindset. Okay, another bad illustration. All right. We were back there praying just a few minutes ago. We were talking about the Colts. So before we prayed, we got depressed talking about the Colts. And I said this was our chance. And I was already in a negative mindset. I said, because next year is going to be terrible. We're going to probably lose some players to this. And then Anthony Richardson's going to go through his rookie year. He's going to make a ton of mistakes. He's going to get hurt. And I was just negative, negative, negative. Dad said something later. He goes, why, why do you think next year's going to be worse? My brother, who gets all right, he already knows me. He goes, that's just Brad being pessimistic. He just gets that way. And once he gets on that trail. And I'm usually now a pretty optimistic person. But if you get me a hard loss last night and it's sports, I can go down a negative. And it can be one thing after another thing and nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm... Like, not even a Colts. I'm a Houston Texans fan now. You know what? I just hate the Colts. I know. I know. It's that bad. All right? I need help here. So, but what happens is we can get in these negative mindsets, and you feed the negativity, feed the negativity, feed the negativity. I was criticizing Indiana last night to my brother. Watch. I'm like, they'll blow it at the end. They're terrible. They lost in the brass. I just feed. I get so negative when it comes to sports. So, what happens? we got to face that doubt. We can't feed the doubt. Feed that. We can't feed that. That's what they did. Because in the text that I read to you already, remember when they started coming, they started saying everything that God, hey, here's the fruit. That's feed. Go ahead and feed that then. Go ahead and compound on that and say, you know what? The fruit is just what God said. If God said this about the fruit and this is true, then God's also going to help us win the battle like he said. Feed that. But he didn't. He said, this is the, this is the fruit. Okay, good. But then what did they do? They immediately went negative. But, nevertheless, the enemies are strong. Uh Uh-oh. 
So now which way are we going to go? Are we going to go with the fruit and the positive, or are we going to go with the strong enemy negative? And they went with the strong enemy negative. So everybody's listening because they all gathered around. I mean, you got these 12 spies that have just been viewing this land that God's promised. And you're listening to these people. They're the heads, they're the chief. They're all listening, saying, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? And you, now think about this. These 12 men hold an influence over the rest of those 2 million people. Everybody's listening. They hold that influence. Just like I hold an influence over this lady right here and four kids. Just like you you hold an influence over your kids and your family. When you Be sure that when we start feeding doubts, it trickles down to those that are in our family. Because they see it. But when we start feeding faith, it also trickles down to our family. I say this all the time about my dad's testimony. I thought he was crazy. In 2000, when I was getting ready to go to college, and he called us in. He said, I'm going to step down from my job. You've had a job for 22 years. I bet you know where he worked, right? Because he says it. I worked in a factory for 22 years. I mean, I, I was like, you, you've been in that factory for 22 years. You think, I don't know, but he probably had like a 401k set up. You probably, churches don't do that type of stuff. You were pretty established. You just, just stay where you are. Everything's comfortable. And he said, before I was going to go to college, I'm going to step down from this and take, take the church. I don't know what it's, that means. We're probably going to have to leave our house. I love that house. I see it every time I drive by Aaron's house. Now they've destroyed it. It frustrates me. But I mean, I love the house. He said, we're going to get, we're going to get rid of this house. We're going to move into the parsonage. Like, why are we moving into a double wide? It used to sit over there. I can tell you stories about that too, but I won't today. But why are we going to move into that? You got this. But he said, I'm going to do this. And I don't know if he said these words, but here's how, what I heard by faith. That's what I heard as a kid. And so a few months later, when I was in college, to be a detective or to be something like that, whatever, and all of a sudden God started working on my heart to speak, to be a preacher at the time. I thought, I can't do that. Are you crazy? Stand up in front of people and talk. But you know what stabled me? You know what I kept thinking about? My dad left his job to do something that he didn't know what was going to happen. Faith. It trickled down. He fed his faith. And it trickled down to me thousands of miles down in, in Florida, hundreds of miles down in Florida. So I'm just saying, when we feed our doubts, you're going to have an influence on others. And it's going to affect you. But when you feed your faith, it also will have that. So here's what happened to them. Look at chapter 14. So they were feeding their doubts instead. And, and all the people must have, because I will back up to chapter 13 real quick, because it said, and Caleb stilled the people. I'll probably come back to that. But why did the people need to be stilled? Because these guys had such a negative report. Everybody's getting anxious. Everybody's worried. You can imagine about 2 million people murmuring. I mean, everybody starts to complain. Oh, no, what's going on? The giants. And I mean, I'm sure that place was crazy. And so it's after this negative report. But in chapter 14, verse 3, notice what happened now. They went from doubting to now verse 3. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword. Now they're blaming God. Why has God brought us into the land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? Oh, here we go again. Same old, same old. I could have just titled that our series in Exodus instead of, I mean, every time they faced a heartache, they fed their doubt and said, why didn't we just stay back as a slave to people that hated us, the people that were abusing us, the people, what? 
But they, that's what happens when you get in that negative feeding your doubt mindset. You say some of the craziest, and I say some of the craziest things. And so they're now, they've went from doubting God to total unbelief. They're saying, God, basically, God, you failed us. God, this is on you. They said, why don't we return? Why don't we go against the will of God? Because the will of God is across that river, but that doesn't look very comfortable. It, it seems more comfortable to be out of the will of God back in Egypt than in the will of God over there. And so they are willing to go against the will of God. Even consider there's some spot in here where they were thinking about stoning the leadership. I mean, this leadership that's been helping you, these leadership that's been guiding you this whole time, they have totally fed their doubts, and now they're saying and doing hurtful things. And I'm not much different, and I'm assuming maybe you may not be as well either. When we start feeding doubt instead of feeding faith, we get in a bad place. But notice this. But notice what happens when we feed our faith. Go back to verse 30 again in chapter 13. It says, And Caleb... So there's 10 of them given this negative report, but there's two of them standing there. And Caleb stilled the people from Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. I love that. He's just saying, Whoa, guys, hey, let's just go up. We're, we're able to do this. And his ability, he wasn't counting on their military strength. He was saying this in faith. He was feeding the faith. I think he looked at the grapes instead of the giants. He was saying everything God said, we just witnessed when we went over there. God, God said that this would be our land. God said there would be a land flowing with milk and honey. It is. He said there would be great grapes. There is. Why don't we just go possess it? He was feeding his faith, but he was being drowned out by all the negativity. But he was still feeding that faith. He was going after it. And when, he, when, when we feed our faith, then we can fasten our mind on what we know to be true back over in chapter 14. I, I, I didn't read verses 31, but notice these people, they were so negative. Verse 31, before I go on, he says, but the men that went up with him said, so the same people, this is why you don't have any of those names, by the way, and your nieces and nephews, those same people turned to him at that point in verse 31 and said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. What a sad, sad testimony. Let that sink in for a second. You've watched the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. You've seen God work in ways that you and I have not seen in that type of format. And here they are saying, we can't do it. Their doubt has now totally moved to the other way. We cannot win those battles. And they, are, they, are, they said, they are stronger than we. Wow. Such... It is verse 32 and they brought up an evil report it's what it was it was an evil report and they had everybody scared to death but but caleb and joshua back to feeding your faith chapter 14 verse 7 now let's go to 6 and joshua the son of nun and caleb the son of jephunneh which were of them that searched the land rent their clothes notice the humility here i mean it's a sign of humility in the bible times they rent their clothes and they spake unto the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us the land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. 
And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. I love these words from these men. I love the words. They're saying, guys, there's no need to fear. So what they did in, to follow the outline that I've kind of just went back and forth, they, they first, they all had to face their doubts. Hey, there's a reality that there's some bad things going on, but we need help. Then they got to feed something. You're either going to feed your doubts or you're going to feed your faith. For Caleb and Joshua, they fed their faith. And when you feed your faith, that allows you to fasten your mind on what you know to be true. And here's what they said. They, in those verses, they said, the Lord's with us. The Lord's with us. We can win this. But what happens is when you don't feed your faith, you fasten your mind on what you assume could happen in your doubts. You fasten your mind on everything negative. You open your door to Satan's influences and all of that negativity that could come with it. And that's why we struggle a lot of times with our thinking and our doubting. Now, I'm not saying all of that to, to say if you go through a difficult time and you doubt, what happens is this works in a negative flow. Well, then we doubt. We hear a message like this. We think, well, I can't tell anybody. They're going to think worse of me. And that's the lie of Satan. So we don't tell people we're doubting, but we continue to feed that doubt, and we just get in a cycle, and we don't talk to people. But as I've said before, again, this is, right, I don't like to totally repeat illustrations, but I'll say it quickly. As I've said before, I, I was super appreciative one time of a deacon's wife 70 some years old that came up to me and said i'm doubting even my salvation and that was a big thing deacon's wife she helped her husband start a few churches they some other pastors but she came after a message something like this and said i'm struggling with even whether i'm even saved now she was saved we talked about it but she had allowed some sin in her life, and even at 70-some years old, that was, and Satan was telling her, you're not saved, how could a Christian do this? And, be, and she was just struggling with some doubts. But she faced it, she asked for help, and she got the victory she needed. But she needed to fasten her mind on the truth. And so we're all going to go through some difficult times when trials come, but we've got to feed our faith and then fasten our mind on what we know to be true. Caleb and Joshua did. And I think that's why... All these years later, we'll still not be ashamed to name a kid or to see someone named Joshua, to see someone named Caleb. But you don't, you're never going to hear somebody named Shamamua, maybe a whale, the closest thing I can get, Shamu. Shaphat, not going to be there. Patalil, not going to be there. Why? Because these men had an opportunity to influence a nation. And all they had to do was say, let's do what God said. And they chose to use their influence to feed their doubt. So my question to us, I mean, there's, I don't think there's any way of denying that, that times are going to come that challenge us, that think, are we going to doubt here or am I going to feed it? And there's no way also of denying that it, whatever decision I make, and I hope that it brought some attention to this today, it's going to influence not just yourself, but it does influence your family and the direction of your family. And so I hope in my prayer after this, as we've come through this, my hope and prayers that you would decide, you know what, I want to feed my faith. I may not understand it. I, I, may not, I may still be seeing the giants on the other side of that, and I still don't know how God's going to do what he's doing, but I'm fastening my mind upon the truth, and I'm just going to keep moving forward in faith. Unfortunately, for, to bring a, put a bow on all of this, because we're done after this week, unfortunately, as you know, for Israel, they chose to go with the ten instead of the two. And they decided, and so God said, fine. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And in this wilderness, they would die off. Everybody that's older than 20 
It would wait till they died off. I always wonder, which I doubt this is the case, but can you imagine that last guy just waiting for him to die? Like, all right, buddy, come on. Anytime now, anytime we're going to go to the promised land. It probably wasn't that dramatic, but that's how I think about it in my little head. And you can already tell from my illustrations, I got a crazy way of thinking. But, but they had to wander around in that wilderness. If you were 20 or younger or Joshua, Caleb, you got to go to the promised land. Now, notice we didn't say anything about Moses yet. Because I think Moses would have been allowed to go. But later on, right before that last person died or whatever it would have been, Moses had a situation with his anger didn't trust God. And so God said, hey, Moses, you're not going to go in either. It, which is always a tough story. It's a tough story to teach. Um, it's because Moses did so well. And it's not that, I think there's multiple reasons, but, but God said, hey, Moses, you're not going to go. But Moses, what, what I admire about him is he prepared another guy, a guy named Joshua, this guy we talked about. And Joshua would later lead that next generation into the promised land. And uh, the promised land is, well, that's a whole other rabbit trail. But it's not necessarily a picture of heaven, although the songs are not necessarily bad. It's actually a picture of the Christian life. Because in the Christian life, in heaven, we're not going to face enemies and giants and difficulties. In heaven, we're, we're, we're past that. But the promised land, a lot of times, is, it's a picture of the victorious Christian life. In the Christian life, we're going to face some enemies. But the good news is we've got God. And God will always give the victory if we face the doubt, feed our faith, and fasten our mind upon what's true. The only way to do that is got to get into the book. So, quick lesson there, but I hope that that would challenge you and just kind of get you thinking a little bit. Next week, I think we have a combined breakfast. And then after that, we will be back in here. You can go to whichever classroom you want. Um, but uh, we will be talking about the book of Hebrews for a while. And so it's going to, I've never taught through the entire book of Hebrews, and, uh, but it really, it's going to be some good thoughts about Jesus. And so looking forward to that. All right, let's pray.